Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 214, You're on the Verge of Seeing Ghosts. This week, we're discussing the Battlestar Galactica Season 4 webisodes, The Face of the Enemy, and Season 7, Episode 11 of Buffy, Showtime. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, yeah, Face of the Enemy. Um, mm-hmm. Which I did not see. So, like, um, I don't yeah, know. I wonder how many people who watch the show have never seen these. I don't know. Um, if, I mean, I'm sure I didn't know about them at the time because mm-hmm. I would have watched them, but I don't. Yeah. I, I realized, like, as I was watching it this time, like, I have no idea what's going on here. Um, yeah. Which is kind of nice in a way. Like, for, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, there are parts that I don't remember necessarily. Um, certainly mm-hmm. a lot of detail stuff that I didn't remember while watching through. But, like, the broad strokes you remember, and then you're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That happens. And, you know, like, maybe I wouldn't have remembered it on my own, but when you see it again, you're like, I remember this part. Right, it's um, familiar, yeah. But like, this is legitimate new, new stuff mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen before. So, yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, probably I don't know how well publicized it was at the time, and um, and certainly in two thousand nine, like webisodes and web series weren't quite as much a thing as they are now. So it probably wasn't as widely shared as it should have mm. been. Sure. Um, and also. These are not on the Blu-ray or the DVD, which, like, sucks and is kind of ridiculous and astounding, but also, like, is very on-brand for, like, the Gata webisodes, I think. <laughs> like, the fact that, like, he gets, like, to be the star of the webisodes and, like, left off the DVD is, like, the whole thing of how he's kind of, like, shoved off into the Raptor, into nowhere, and, like, nobody really is looking for him. It's, like kind of appropriate Mm -hmm. um but i do wish that they if they ever do like a new re-release that i please please include these webisodes um sure you know at least they're online so you know they are out there but um okay i have a few other production notes before we start the discussion um i'll try to go through them quickly but um just because people don't know about these very much i think they're important um so Jane Espenson and Seamus Kevin Fahey wrote those together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they were broadcast, like I said before, in the mid-season break between the the half seasons. So this was like your teaser to get you excited to come back for the second half, like over December and January. Um, But um, as we kind of pointed out before, it's pretty clear when you watch it that it takes place after sometimes a great notion. Like, even though D isn't mentioned, the kind of general sense of despair and everything looming over Gaeta, I think, kind of points to this being um, after her suicide. Plus the fact that, like, the fleet is back on the move and they're yeah, yeah. traveling around again. So well, and it says, it's kind of... It says nine days and you get, like... I guess they don't right. say explicitly when D kills her, but you get the sense that it's like that night or the next day, right? Like, I mean, pretty soon after. It's like because yeah. she comes back up, 
does some babysitting, goes out with Lee for a nice evening, and then kills herself. Like, like there's not a lot of, un, unless there's like time that passes that they just fail to like mention. Right. Right. Like there's no, but there's no sense of that. It it seems right, like right. it's a twenty four hour period that that episode takes place in. Right. So there's nothing that specifically spoils it when you watch it first, but I think it works better to watch it after. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so the interesting way kind of that it was developed though, I think, um, it is kind of fascinating. So they had kind of come up with the idea of webisodes early, like, Oh, we webisodes that went well, we should do that again. <laughs> and then they were kind of, sure. you know, coming up with ideas and storylines before and during, you know, while like production on the main series. So kind of, they kind of, in some ways, maybe already know where certain things are going. So they're kind of wanting to lay in some foreshadowing and everything, but they didn't actually end up, um, shooting it until after the series had wrapped. So this was shot concurrently with the plan, which is like the movie that they did afterwards. So it's this, but, but, so it's kind of a retcon in a way, like they're writing and shooting it after they've already done the story. But on the other hand, it's premiering before those episodes. So from an audience perspective, it's not retcon because you're getting this first. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't necessarily show that we wrote this second. So again, I think that lets them, you know, maybe we want to emphasize certain things that are, you know, going to be important. Like, you know, the fact that Gaeta by the end is kind of anti-Cylon in a way he's never been before. Like this lays in some background for that so that when you watch the rest of the series, you have that. Um, So, um, and also because they were shooting it with the plan, the main series was over. So they were like letting actors leave and knocking down sets and all that kind of thing. So it becomes this sort of necessity as the mother of invention scenario where they had to write to what they had. Like, mm. all right, who are the, like there are certain actors we couldn't use or there's certain sets that we couldn't use. Sure. So it becomes, so it becomes this like lifeboat story because like we have like, a corner of the CIC and a raptor. That's it, <laughs> you know, and like a tent. And like, what can we do with that? It's like um, a, in Apollo 13, it's like, okay, where they dump out the box and like, here are the things that you have to like, right. you know. Or like <laughs> chopped or something. Yeah. Like, here's your box of ingredients right. and like make something, which I think is great. Like, I think this leads to creative writing sometimes, like to say like you have limited resources. Sure. What are you going to do with that? But it explains some of why the story is the way it is and i think makes it a little bit unusual it makes it a smaller story well, at least at least we have grace park so we can use her for a bunch of characters if we need to <laughs> exactly it was like it, it has one of the characters has to be a cylon so that we can use them from multiple angles and everything um or like instead of hoshi as um Geta's, um you know, new flame. It was supposed to be Narcho, who's one of the um, Pegasus pilots. And they like, couldn't get that actor. Like he was like gone. So it was sort of a thing of, well, who else is around? Hey, there's a, you know, the C, the, the Pegasus Bizarro D he's still there. We'll use him. Um, you know, sure. not that I object, but again, like it changes the way the story goes based on what they had available. Um, and then Bizarro D. He's the Pegasus communications guy. Um, 
And then, okay, so in terms of the writing, um, apparently the story was more so the the baby of Seamus Kevin Fahey, like it was kind of more his brainchild. But I have to point out the very Jane Espenson practice of taking the spotlight and putting it on the the supporting character, you know, like that's very on brand for her. We've seen her do it. And, you know, I think she brings some of that experience to this too. Um, and maybe she had something to do with that. Um, I'm not quite sure how much influence she had there, but mm -hmm. um, the one thing I do know she brought to it was um, they had come up with the idea for uh, Gaeta to have this affair with the Cylon back on New Caprica. Um, and Espenson, you know, being the, the very, you know, fandom savvy person that she is, was aware of the fact that a lot of fans identified Gaeta as a gay character. And so she kind of like thought, mm. well, they're going to take that as a slight. If like, we've said nothing about this character's sexuality for four seasons, um, then to suddenly just kind of at the end, deny that, you know, it is what you've all been thinking would be a little bit insulting. So, okay, well, what if we can do both? And that was sort of her idea. Um, which, you know, when they brought it up to AJ, he's fine with it because that's how he was playing it from the beginning. Like, you know, I mentioned way back when. Um, certainly with Baltar, that was always his approach was there was some sort of, you know, um, infatuation or attraction there. So it kind of was like, right in line with what he'd been sort of doing anyway. Um, so yeah, it kind of just sort of confirmed that, although in a webisode that not many people saw. Um, and then the last thing was um, awards. Um, it got nominated for um, a couple Emmys, um, uh, Outstanding Special Class Short Form, which it lost to Dr. Horrible, which came out the same year. Oh, really? Oh, right, um, because that was that was also a project of the writer's strike, basically. There you go. Um, right, which makes right. Sense. And it, right, which I think this probably was, too, a thing of, like, well, we have this extended break. What can we do in the hiatus that's, like, a little bit special? Mm -hmm. um, and then it didn't lose to, that, to Dr. Horrible in the... Um, inaugural streamy awards because they were put in different categories like this was in drama and dr horrible was put in comedy so like when you look at the categories the two of them pretty much sweep all the awards it's just that they are not really in competition mm. um so at that at the streamy awards which was like a web series specific award show um this one dramatic web series um best writing and and best male actor for alessandro giuliani so um so it did well at those awards. Um, that's all. So. Oh, is that it? That's it. Only eleven minutes of. Only eleven notes. minutes of production notes. Um, well, some context. Good context, I think. Yeah, I, it's all good. Um, yeah. So, to jump into the story, then I guess where I wanted to start was um, just kind of with the situation, uh, which we already kind of talked about a little bit. It's nine days after uh, the discovery of Earth. Um, although they appear not like I get they're not really by Earth anymore, right? Like they're just kind of like out in the middle of nowhere, I guess, kind of traveling from place to place still. 
Right, which is kind of how the last one ended, right? Is Adama coming in and saying, well, we're going to go find somewhere to live. And the Cylons can come if they want. And and he tells Gaeta to go, like, look up for a certain kind of... of Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 So So I guess that's where it is. Like, they're searching, but kind of aimlessly. Like, they're not on the route to Earth. They're just sort of kind of doing what Hoshi does later and just sort of picking random... Yeah. You well, know, right, like coordinates on a map and trying things. Right, or like I mean, we don't know how many jumps it is to like the first of these stars, or maybe right. they've already been to a couple, like wherever wherever they're going. But um, right, they right. seem to be like okay, these are the types of star systems that will have planets like we need, um, or that are most likely to have planets that we need. So like, mm-hmm. let's just go check some of these out. Um, seems to be what mm-hmm. it um, of course so so there's that right um, they seem to still be uh, nervous about Cavill's uh, right because like I mean the whole reason well okay sorry back up before that Gaeta is apparently like not sleeping well with his right. uh you know, leg and and whatnot, um, which mm-hmm. I mean, we've already kind of seen like he's not maybe. I mean, he's adapting, but it's like not an easy, <laughs> you know, sort right. of sort of thing. And like even with, um, even with D, like moments before, he's kind of like complaining, whereas she's like, you know, seemingly happy and and mm-hmm. humming and whatever. So like he's kind of grumbling and and whatnot um but uh yeah so like apparently not been sleeping ty brings up like how tired he is and it's hard to know like is that from the pain is that because they're so busy like looking for a new place is it a little of both like mm-hmm. and <clears throat> which is interesting right. so if this well is... and d's i think d's death sort of hangs over that too like Sure, and maybe you know. maybe there's even like I mean he's not so Hoshi obviously is like the other communications person, so there's probably been stuff dumped on him with D being gone. Um, but like just maybe even like yeah, like the overall you know, atmosphere in the CIC and then also like they were apparently had were in the same set of bunks, right? Like mm-hmm. they were in the same, you know, lieutenant or officer's quarters there um mm-hmm. which would be haunting <laughs> you know mm-hmm. in a way um and right. so that but like you know so i mean they've been going you know again if this is nine days well i guess at that point it's three days earlier right so this is six days almost a week after they found the earth and like you get the sense that like Gate has been awake for most of that. <laughs> right, um, right. Like there's clearly something, you know, keeping him right. up at night um, or, or multiple right. things. Right, and it's all of the above. Right, right, right. right. Multiple things. And um, Ty's like, all right, dude, you got to get some rest. Go get drunk, sleep for a week, and then come back. Um, kind of uncharacteristically uh, compassionate well, so of Ty. Well, so I, I wanted to bring this up. And we can bring it up now. I was going to kind of wait till mm-hmm. we talked about 
Gata and, and Ty and whatever, but I guess this makes sense now. Because, like, yeah. Remember when Ty was trying to throw you out in airlock? Now, I know a lot's <laughs> happened since then. But, like, yeah, is this, like, is, like, new Cylon Ty, like, softening up? Is this, like, mm. like, is, I, I don't know, like, it's hard to say, like, how uh, legitimate, like, we should take Ty's feelings here. Like, I don't, sure. like, I mean, I don't know, like, I, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily feel inauthentic i guess mm -hmm. so like maybe it is like maybe it is perfectly legitimate and whatever but like i don't know it just does it does seem odd it seemed it's definitely different than you expect from ty mm -hmm. um not just now but then later with his interaction with hoshi and like mm -hmm. there's definitely a i almost say connection i don't know if that's the right word uh commiseration maybe between mm -hmm. Ty and Gaeta that, like, literally has never happened before. Mm -hmm. um, or at least on Ty's end, there is. Like, I, does, right, Gaeta right, right. doesn't seem right. particularly, like, grateful to me. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, just like, you know, he's kind of just wanting to, like, not sleep yeah. and deal with it and, and not too excited about, like, vacation time. No, that's... Um, but definitely, like, on Ty's side. That's a good clarification. And that's kind of what, what I meant. But, like, yeah, no, that's a good clarification because yeah you're right like gata like ty has to say to him this isn't a punishment this is mm. this is a gift like i'm giving you a chance to catch up on your sleep but then i mean on the other hand is if gata is not sleep like what are the reasons gata is not sleeping is it because she's sleep. up yeah. awake with the pain and whatever and like maybe the work actually like helps him forget about that stuff for a while um right so maybe that's part of his irritation and uh right but yeah i mean he right and maybe it is a new like uh, a tie trying to make some changes and this is his new like yeah honest and sensitive kind of I, initiative i guess that's you know? so there's the part of me that's like is this just the writers forgetting like how mean Ty is because like they have already wrapped everything up and like because this mm. is this is pre well we know that he's realized at this point that Ellen mm -hmm. is was a Cylon. Right. Right. Maybe that's giving so, him like, a new little lease on life and some hope, you know? Yeah. Um, but, like, on the other hand, like, I don't know. I, I guess I, it, it is this is this the writers writing after the show's end and trying to go mm -hmm. back and, like, write the character Soften tie again? a little bit. And well, but like unintentionally, like, I don't mm. think like, like, is this like looking back on Ty with, you know, rose colored glasses, like sure. based on what happens in the second half of the season or not. Right. And right. maybe, or I don't know. I, I guess this is like, like, this is referencing like what you were saying in the production notes of like, right. How, right. you know, There's how much of this, of retcon to how it. much yeah. of this is like retcon and like how successful is the retcon? Sure. Um, I, I think they do some retcon stuff in this episode very successfully. I'm not sure that the tie element is the mm -hmm. most successful of the retcons. Mm -hmm. um, too, too um, quick of a jump from like 
disillusioned crusty tie to like you know like carrying about life yeah like yeah it's right str- yeah and like i on the one hand I, I feel torn about it too because on the one hand i like the like you know it's very tempting to like this softer side and and you know the fact that he calls him son and everything and the softer it's like side oh like he yeah, cares right. you know like yeah. like oh he's he maybe he finally gets it and like yeah come on like show some some empathy and everything but like yeah it's tough to it's tough to take that given the history of their relationship and just completely swallow it which at least the fact that Gaeta doesn't is some credit to the continuity of his character. You know, even if Ty is a little too squishy here, um, Gaeta's not really squishy back. So, like, at least that has some, like, sure, you know, some, you know, uh, I don't know, consistency. But yeah, I guess, um, I guess maybe, right, and maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just because like we don't see enough of Ty in this way like it's literally just like two incidents right or two conversations like one with him and Gaeta and then one with him and Hoshi later and it just it just doesn't feel like maybe if we had more and could get to like understand more of like Ty's current Mm -hmm. like state of mind like it would feel less whatever but because we only have like these two things and they just both feel so different from what we know of Ty and yeah and, and I don't yeah i don't want to we don't have to even belabor the point too much except that like i definitely want to try to look at this in the next episode because i can't really remember to what extent this is like like i want to i'm curious to see if in the next episode this tie is consistent with that tie this or is, whether this is an aberration you know this is a far cry from you know we're not going to talk about the you know, fragile body of Gaius Fracken Baltar. Like, yeah. I just don't see that tie being like, well, son, right. go get some rest. Like, right, right, right. Anyway. Sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, so, yeah. Okay. So I kind of, you know, joshed you a bit for spending 11 minutes on production notes and here i am spending like 11 minutes on Ty. <laughs> 11 minutes on on ty who has like three lines in the entire you know webisode um so yeah so although i want to come back to him at the end though but we'll do that later sure um so he does give gata force r and r um mm-hmm. which gata begrudgingly takes um along with a you know set of morpha injectors and a kiss from hoshi um Mm -hmm. and not to like gloss over that but like at least for now like um that's where he's going like on his way to his four star and r he he meets up with a deckhand named brooks and there's a couple other passengers um in the raptor who are all going to the zephyr apparently when all of a sudden uh the fleet jump gets orders to jump away because there's uh cylon ships appearing uh, presumably the bad cylon ships right like the ones that were not i guess 
the 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 they still have like the tentative truce with the other, with like the the Leo right, Ben right. and Six. Right. You know. Yes. Right. right. So they still have the alliance with half of the Cylons, and then the hostile ones are the other half. The, the Cavils and the yeah. are the ones that they're they're spooked it by right. that they think Cavils out to hunt them down. But yeah, the fact that like. Not only are they traveling with silence, but they're silence like on Galactica, like just going to get a shuttle like anybody right, else. Right. Like that's a new, that's like a new development. Right, because the these fact are that they're intermingling. These are eights, but like they're neither of them are Athena or Boomer. So like, right? Yeah, there's like just kind of like, hey, we're walking here, like, right. <laughs> um, and and while Brooks kind of. Like we see his, you know, sort of Cylonist, racist, whatever, you know, comments. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's not like unexpected. It's not like, oh my god, there's Cylons. It's like, ugh, skin jobs. Like, you know, more right. of them. Like, right. Like, not that well, it's unexpected. That kind of, it, it just he doesn't yeah. like it. You know. And it's not even like a particularly like vicious thing but it's that kind of casual racism of like oh i'll use the slur that like you know ugh, more skin jobs you know yeah. um which i think you also see um Gata's discomfort with that that like you know sure he's not a particularly you know anti-silent like he'll fight them and he was you know did resistance against them so, so like he's been more one of the more accepting characters like with with athena and everything and so i i think it's an interesting contrast the beginning of this episode versus the end when it's you know kind of you know the journey towards distrusting all cylons full stop he's not that way at the beginning of the episode because brooks says a slur and gata kind of looks at him like come on dude like really um and i think it's just a reminder of kind of where he is yeah. When the episode starts in terms of his attitudes. Um Yeah. So Trust trusting to a fault, perhaps, but still but still trusting. Yeah. Um so yeah, so they get on the raptor, it, they're called to jump, but something happens and the raptor gets separated from the fleet. Um and it turns into um you use the term the uh, a who done it because then people start dying and and the question becomes like is somebody killing them is this just like by accident like what's going on here um mm -hmm. so right right and the first couple incidents could be accidental it's really not till it goes later on that it becomes obvious that it's not but like for the electrocution or for the the morpha overdose there's that possibility, which is sort of how Gaeta wants to believe it, is that these are just freak accidents and stop trying to have a witch hunt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So let's talk about, like, let's maybe go through that. Because, like, well, I don't know. I don't know if we should go through the victims first or, like, the Gaeta and Sharon. I feel like the victims we can get through pretty quick. So maybe let's do them real quick first. Sure. Um, yeah. Brooks, we already kind of talked about um, when when things go wrong um, 
they're trying to figure out like how to extend their air, right? Like that's what kind of, that's the, that's the thing. He, he's a deck hand. He's a mechanic. He, he's like, okay, I can fix this. And he crawls under the, um, you know, the console or whatever there and, and starts fiddling around with stuff. Um, can't get it. And, um, I mean, I feel like this is less of a Cylon human thing than like a pilot deckhand thing where mm-hmm. like the pilot eight like is like, oh, give me that. You can't do it. Like, you know, it's yeah. kind of that um, egotistical, you know, uh, you, you know, Viper pilot kind of attitude. Right. Of Right. Like, uh, you stupid knuckle dragger. Yeah. Give me that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she goes under there and ends up getting fried because apparently the insulation is worn off the handle of of these pliers that Brooks had been using and then gave to the pie. So almost immediately, you know, the accusation is you you caused this Brooks by either removing or or giving. Uh, you know, removing the insulation yourself or giving, you know, knowingly giving this particular set of pliers to the, mm-hmm. you know, to a Cylon. And um, I don't, do we ever like, we don't ever really learn exactly what happens, right? Like, or do we, do we learn? Do- um, No, I think, I think the Sharon, the, the sweet eight, um confesses it later oh she does that That part she does when she's in her like you know confession mode um she kind of says like well she kind of was they were intended like she thought brooks was going to do it himself and he didn't she didn't realize she would hand him but like whatever whatever saves us air is fine um okay so she kind of it went slightly wrong but still she had intended for somebody to to die and she's not too concerned about the other Cylon dying either, which is... In, she doesn't seem to like, be. There's, like, there's definitely right. a... Um, like, I would have preferred it to have been Brooks, but, like, it's fine that it was the other eight. Like, yeah. whatever saves us air is well, fine with me. Well, there's definitely, like, a sociopathic element to it. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't matter who died, just kind of, like, as long... Yeah, like you said, like, as long as it wasn't me. Um yeah. So, although it it kind of works out that the Cylon is the first death because it deflects attention away from her, you know, like sure. it looks more likely to be a human murderer, you know, when right. like oh we'll target the Cylon. Right? Well, which is like, but like the thing I was thinking about is because is it her that accuses him? Um, like like I mean she does accuse him, but is it her? You know, is it uh sweet eight or whatever new cap sharon that um <laughs> that says like that. new cap sharon yeah um who says like what you didn't feel like that there was no insulation on it it's like well but pilot eight didn't feel that either like why is that like why is that brooks's particular like fault right like the assumption is like oh he must be lying because he would have felt that there was no insulation but like if he's just used to using those then and the insulation wore off, like he might not have even realized it. Whereas like why wouldn't why wouldn't the Cylon who like they're machines and like 
I mean, if you can detect like star patterns with the naked eye, like mm-hmm. how can you not detect missing insulation on grips? Like apparently mm-hmm. she couldn't though. So like, why is that more of Brooke's fault than her fault? You know? Right. Um, right. Which is a clue if you're really paying attention. Right. Like, oh, there's some hole in your logic here, but nobody, it's right. No. kind of just glance right over it. People, yeah, people definitely sort of take that at face value. And I feel like, like even the other humans in the raptor kind of are like, totally could have been Brooks. <laughs> like, because mm-hmm. we've heard right. like Gata was standing next to him when he was making like comments about right. skin jobs, you know, and stuff like that. So um, you also get the little like interplay between Brooks and the eight of Mm -hmm. like him like kind of praying and kissing his pendant and the Sharon going like we're a long way from water like like there's kind of like this like one superstitious one's not you know like Mm. you know how can you you know believe in that crap kind of stuff um which with scoffing at his at his religious beliefs and everything which also like maybe even plays into sort of the the class thing or the or the i don't know maybe i guess it's sort of a class thing of like the pilot versus the knuckle dragger right like mm. like that you know the knuckle dragger is like the superstitious religious you know idiot you know whereas the like pilot is like the smarter you know whatever um Right, right. More educated, yeah. kind of. Yeah, looking down on his more sort of scientific and yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. so like, there's maybe a bit of that going on in there too. Um, yeah, I like his comeback though. That it's a ship, isn't it? Like, you know, right, maybe right. it's less about the what. Like, there's a more symbolic way that, well, that his prayer works, even if it's not literally about being on water. And that's, I mean, and that's become basically a uh, uh you know a uh, uh, uh i mean even in 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 the real world like the the nautical metaphor applied to space travel like astronaut mm-hmm. like that's where that comes from it's a star boat right like that's mm-hmm. that's where you know everything you know has kind of gone that way is is there is that metaphor there so it, which i you know again like I mean, that's what I'm not, it's funny because like on the one hand, like the religion of the colonies is very sort of pagan and Greco-Roman, right? Uh, In a lot of ways, but like this is almost, this almost seems more of a a Catholic type thing to me of like a saint, Mm. you know, like I don't know who the saint of like, sailors is but like Mm -hmm. that's what it feels more like to me rather than like uh uh you know a a pagan god that he's sort of praying to um and so like but i feel like that's the that's what you do with like saints it's like you know well they're the saint of whatever and it just like they get applied to like new situations or technologies or whatever like as like things develop it's like you just 
kind of keep extending out their domain, you know, um, as you need to, <laughs> you know, in order mm-hmm. to, and so that, yeah, so that it's, it's like, like almost for him, it's not even a question. It's like, well, it's a ship. So like, obviously mm-hmm. it makes sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, sorry. So wasn't supposed to talk about books that long either, but um, he yeah, well. Uh, he, so they're the first. He he ends up the first two, yeah, dying as well, and uh, through with the with the morpha, right? Like with the um, which we learn later is is new cap Sharon's uh, mm-hmm. doing. Um, yeah, the others, I mean, so Pilot 8, Brooks, and then Finn and Ezrin, the pilots, whose names I totally did not know until you told me right before we started. <laughs> um, it's totally fair. Um, they end up, um, do they just, I, I, I'm ashamed that I'm like struggling so much. They just end up dying from like asphyxiation or something, right? Like, it, or they? No, they have like their throats cut. Oh, so she actively like, kills them. Oh, right. That's where all them. the blood is And in a, like, blood very gory, from. like, there's no mistaking that this is, like, not accidental. Um, you know? But like, it had- very kind of, like, slasher movie, kind of. And Gaeta, like, is passed out or whatever, or, like, maybe under, is he under the Morpha, or, like, what's... Yeah, maybe. Like, it's while he's asleep, so it could be that, like... It's, he's, you know, a bit which, drugged. And, which, hey, you know, at least he's asleep. At least he's getting his rest. This is true. <laughs> like, this is what Ty wanted. Like, it's along. not it's not a total loss here. <laughs> I guess. Although, when I get to the end, I'm always like, I don't really think he's as rested as he was supposed to be. <laughs> like, yeah, well, no. And it's not really good. And it's certainly that, that yeah. like, I do feel like it must be that he was under from the Morpha, right? Given, like... Yeah. Yeah. How he's like, like how close quarters they're in and everything. Yeah, like I mean that's and also just like that helps conserve air, right? Like being mm-hmm. being in a, a you know, you know sleeping, you're gonna breathe less than Right. And I think away. one of the pilots says that, like, we should be sleeping as much as possible. Um so there's a kind of like that's in, in addition to trying to figure out how to get back, that's part of the plan, too, is, like, intentional sleeping to conserve air. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah. So they all die. Yes, they do. Um, but let's go back and talk about, like... So, like, clearly, like, as this is going on, there's, like, there's this thing between Gaeta and new cap Sharon that uh we learn about through flashbacks and, and conversation and mm-hmm. um I mean it turns out that they knew each other and and I actually like how they sort of do the reveal of this because it's mm-hmm. like there are those like kind of like that little smile that she keeps giving him like she knows something or like you know, is just waiting for something. And he, you know, Gaeta's just kind of like, okay, you're an eight, until she says to him, like, don't you recognize me? Like, mm-hmm. I, it's me. Like, 
And then he says later, like, you're her. Like, so there's clearly, you know, some connection between this particular eight and and him. Um, right. And so, right. and, and we learn about that through the different flashbacks. Um, right. And it's like, well, they're all clones. They're all identical. But at least she expects, or the way she's playing it, is that she expects him to recognize her. Like, which kind of gives you that idea of, like, there was this special connection. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you should recognize me. Whereas, like, he doesn't until she points it out. Um, or he's not sure. Like, maybe he wondered, but, like, they all look exactly alike. So how's he supposed to know? Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of at least, you know, her her the approach she takes is to be like, oh, obviously you you should recognize me. Um after after everything that happened which kind of like gives you the mystery of like what's going on what happened like teasing this this hidden backstory that we haven't seen and which i mean it's not like that's unprecedented like i mean because you feel like at this point like hilo can tell boomer from athena right like sure like there's certainly whether it's like bearing or even like different hairstyles or like whatever like there's there are ways to distinguish them um Mm -hmm. so yeah so like i mean maybe he just doesn't think that that particular sharon is still around like maybe he Mm -hmm. thinks that she has has died and we don't actually we never really find out like how many of like each model there were Mm let alone like how many like actually survived and are like with the fleet like mm-hmm. you know are on that base star right cuz like a lot of them died just in like the whole attack on the resurrection ship and everything mm-hmm. and the hub um so yeah i mean i just feel like there's like we don't really know how many there are like if there's 30 left and at one point there were thousands like why would you necessarily think that like the one you happen to know on New Caprica w- is one of those chosen 30, you know, or special right. 30? Right. Um, I guess that's true, really, no matter how many are left. Like, you wouldn't necessarily think that that it's the one that you knew. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she she seems to you know she prompts him to to recognizing that uh this is the particular eight that he knew and so we learn um kind of through flashbacks and i guess like these are like these are his memories sort of coming back to him right like of why he knew her and how he knew her um Mm -hmm. which is i mean long story short he gave her the list of people apparently the the list of 200 that uh were to be executed um sure yeah and there's sort of a slow reveal of that there i mean like but yeah i don't know or and is it ever confirmed that it's the list of 200 or is it i mean there could be some overlap it's not entirely clear but close enough close enough 
So that might be she may, says, maybe I she was. She says jumping. something about like maybe I'm jumping. Well, I let food. a couple. She says something about like, well, I let a couple go so that you wouldn't realize we still had the others or, or killed them or whatever. But See, yeah, I maybe thought, they let a couple go and then was, the other two hundred went to. Yeah. I thought that was just in reference to like, like when they were detained, but like that mm. that like. Like, maybe the list was longer than 200, and it just ended up being, like, the 200 is, like, the number they settled upon to actually kill or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I guess that is right. a bit of an assumption on my part, but, like, that's so such, just occurring to me that's now. such a big deal. Like, I feel like yeah. if they yeah. were talking about some other list of names, like, they would have clarified that. Well, and so for sure, like you're supposed to connect these lists of names, whether they're literally word for word, the exact same list. I'm not a hundred percent, but definitely like you're supposed to like associate them. Um, but here's what's just occurring to me now. I'm not sure which is more disturbing if it is a list or if it isn't, because if it's not the same list, he gets all these people killed, right? Like she says, she hands the hit with the list over, kill everybody on this list, and that's what they do. If it is the same list as the 200 that go to be executed, that's pretty messed up, but also, in a way, kind of works out because it's he ends up getting them rescued. You know, well, that's why so I, like there's some light at the end of the was, tunnel of like that's yeah. why I thought it was the list and maybe See, there's some of, retconny, I kind of there, maybe there's right. some retconny problems there because like then then it's like how do you not realize that it's the same list hmm. like that's the question I would have is and maybe this I mean this goes to like. I mean, this is sort of addressed quite literally in, in the thing. It's like, you're naive and, like, mm-hmm. but he looks at the list of the 200. Like, how could he mm. not realize if it's the same list? So maybe, maybe well, that's... Well, that's a, what makes me think that it's not. And and maybe um, that's, yeah, maybe that's a totally good argument for why it's not. Because, and, well, wait a minute. And I'll, I think for me, that kind of convinces me that it's not because naive or blocking it out or not he doesn't know that she's the culprit the whole like the whole this whole story is based on the fact that he still trusts her whereas by this point if he's seen the list of names that were sent to well, be executed does he, does he have, that would have does he have time that would have tipped him off does he have it? time to inspect it though so this well, is the other thing so that's a question this is the other thing because baltar's the one who signs the list and doesn't he just kind of grab it or does he even take the list? Does he ever see the list? Or does he just go and warn them there's people going to be, you know, ambushed and or not ambushed, but executed? And I don't I don't know. I don't think they say. I mean, he knows it's a death list and that's what he all like, we know. Like he comes running in. I'm just trying to think of like the the events. He comes running. He comes into Baltar's office all hot and bothered. Right. Yelling at him. And then he runs to flip the dog dish, which is, like, mm-hmm. totally, again, like, suspicious. Like, no Cylon <laughs> saw him doing this. Anyway. 
But just going but, for my uh, weekly but, visit with the but dog. But maybe the retcon yeah. works in his favor then. Maybe the Sharon's like, oh, just let him do his thing. Like, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then it doesn't work out. So and anyway, um, like, does he ever? Does he ever actually see the list? Like, does he? He doesn't take the list and give it to them, does he? he does he give the list to the resistance, or is it just a note or something that's like? people are going to die and here's where they're going to die. Like, I don't remember. I don't remember well enough to know if he actually ever sees the list of 200. So like, if he I doesn't don't. actually see that. I think he does. I think he does. I think he has it. And that's why he goes into Baltar saying, is that the trigger? Have you seen this? Yeah. Like, do you know what this is that you just signed? And Baltar says like, yeah, I saw it. Um, Maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. It's fuzzy. I'd, ha I'd have to go back and rewatch that. Um, right. Which I feel like is a failure because, like, that's the whole point of this podcast. Sure. <laughs> um, right. Well. <laughs> no, I, not a failure, maybe, but like, but like, there is that. There is that question of. We'd have to like look for nuances so, of acting of like how closely does he look at the paper? And this like, is this is my. How many seconds does he spend inspecting it? Um, Right, and and my argument here is that like because I hadn't seen these webisodes before, so I didn't know what was coming. Right. To right. like watch while we right. were, you know, going back right. when the new Capricorn stuff was happening, it could have been like, oh, this is important later, so I'm going to watch more closely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. But that would be that would be my mm. that would be my counter argument for it being the same list is if. He doesn't really have a chance to like inspect the list to see that like there's a lot of mm -hmm. but like so even if there is a lot of crossover would he necessarily know that it was the list he gave mm -hmm. like maybe they sorted it by alphabet like may, you know maybe he just wrote it down as names came to him and then they like printed it out and like sorted it and collated like mm -hmm. like so it's a different order mm -hmm. and whatever but also like there would probably be a lot of overlap of like. Like, he would probably want to save Roslyn because, like, she's the president and stuff. So, like, mm -hmm. if Roslyn's on both lists, that might not be a trigger of, like, oh, this is the list I gave right. them. It is Right, not like of, some random person I happen yeah. to know. Like, she's going to be on and, anybody's list of, like, important people. And if he wrote down, like, 200 or a few more than 200 names, like, he's probably, like, he might not be counting names. He's just writing down the names of everyone he knows. Mm -hmm. Like... Right. He doesn't necessarily know that it was like 200 people. So that those sure. would be my arguments for why they could be the same list. But I No, I yeah, without going back and double checking, I think you could probably make an argument either way, to be honest. And I think it very much affects the darkness of the story. Like yeah. either these 200 people were saved and he was responsible for that, which he may or may not even really realize in this, like there's a lot of not realizing the implications of what sure. he's doing in this episode, but like if he, if they're not the same or if they're largely not the same, then it very much makes it darker. Like, you know, cause as he's thinking that he's yeah. saving these lives, he's getting them killed. Right. Um, I think that's at least his interpretation of it, whether or not that's actually true. Um, um, I think it, it, and it, it picks up on, the thing in um like with the circle of their charge of against him is like well you worked with the Cylons you didn't do enough 
in his defense, like, he doesn't really have a defense, but in the end kind of agrees with them and says, like, well, I don't know what else. I could have done more, but I don't know what. And, like, it, it's kind of even more tragic to realize he did do more. Like, we're seeing here the more that he did. Um, but even that didn't work the way he wanted it to. Um, potentially got even more people killed or it was just as futile as everything else that he tried to do. So it's kind of not really very redemptive of the new Caprica storyline either way. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't, I, I, I definitely, whether it's right or not, I definitely assumed mm -hmm. the lists were the same. Um, gotcha. So maybe that colors my mm -hmm. reading of, I mean, it certainly colors my reading of, of all of this, but. Um, so if he was, if he was paying attention, <laughs> that could be kind of a happy ending then to realize like, well, crap, I screwed up, but it kind of worked out, yeah. you know? If it is the same list, like, the people got away, um, you know? Like, I think... Well, and also, I think, from a character, like, there's a consistency there of he was wrong, but he was wrong with the same, you know, heart that he was later right. Like, like you know, it's both... Right. But giving the list to the Sharon maybe was stupid and naive, but it was stupid and naive in, in a way that like later his running out to warn the resistance about the impending execution is maybe mm -hmm. reckless and whatever. But like it's they're both attempts to save lives. Right. And and I, I mean, I guess that's true, even if they're not the same list, because like even if he ended up getting a bunch of people killed. I mean, like, he's still doing it. Like, the reasons that he's doing it are still the same. So I guess that's true either. Like, that doesn't help us with the listing either. They're both, they're both, uh... No, I mean, there would be more poetic sort of justice to, oh, the very thing that almost got them killed becomes the thing that saves them in the end. Right. Um, you know, I guess the fact that the, the episode ends in such a kind of dark place swings me more to the direction of like yeah. assuming that well, these people did not make it out um but I, I i don't disagree i think it's very fuzzy and probably you could go back and construct a really compelling fan argument for like all the clues as to why it was or wasn't that exact list you know i mean we see some of the names don't we like i like in the webisode here we like, do the, i don't remember them, i don't but... remember that like i didn't i didn't look at them close enough because I was yeah. assuming it was that list, like that that it was the right. list. Right. So we could go back and see what names are on the list at, at the right. very right. least, and see if any of them are recognizable. But anyway, mm -hmm. all right. So this is the episode in which we talk too long about things we were not supposed to talk long about, <laughs> which I feel like is also every, just, every episode. That's just our podcast. It's um, just like how it goes. So it goes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I would say, though, that the darkness of the ending is also negligible as far as, like, telling us which list it is. Because mm -hmm. the darkness is based on his understanding. And I don't think at this right. point that he's 
considering, oh, well, maybe they were the same list. Like, I don't think no, he's thinking, like, I agree with that. well, yes, yeah. okay, I gave her the list. But I saved most of them later. Like, right. Right. like, he's not at that point to, like, even realize that that's a possibility. And, again, there's two possible explanations. Either because he just doesn't realize it and he's dumb and naive, or because they were two different lists and that didn't happen. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. There's like the darkness there is still kind of ambiguous, I think. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, so no matter what is the truth, his interpretation of it is the, what matter, matters from a character point of view. Yeah, right. Um, and, and again, there's the consistency with like that was the reaction to, to getting off New Caprica was doesn't matter that he was the reason that the fleet got off New Caprica, that they got the you know, coordinates to Galactica and that was what, you know, able them to, you know, take on the, the occupation and everything. What matters is the people telling him, well, here's all these people that you got killed that you didn't save. Mm-hmm. And like his being conclusion, his conclusion is sort of like, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Well, like I think his, his character is very much a perfectionist and he's been that way from certainly that's, the approach to the work in the CIC, I think, mm-hmm. um, is to get everything right and efficiently and as you're directed and to do it on time and do it well and ex- frustration when that doesn't happen and frustration when Ty prevents him from doing that or things aren't organized very well or whatever. I think that's like the approach to his resistance work too is like, the hundred people, the two hundred people you say doesn't matter. It's that one person you didn't get that's gonna stick with you. You know, sure. like that's the kind of perfectionist well, personality. And it's sort of the it's the Schindler's List thing, right? Like of right, I could exactly. have sold my watch and helped save right. another person, um, regardless of how much you did. Um, it's never right. enough. Um, yeah, yeah. I so. Um, thinking about uh his conversation with baltar though too which is a flashback mm-hmm. right like, this is like i'm guessing they couldn't get james callus to come back and shoot a new scene so they just like reuse right. an old scene um which works well, like and i don't there's think also the, and there's also the retcon of oh we never explained what the whisper is we, we should probably do that and tie that back in because that was a little dangling thread that never got mm. addressed um Again, not that I'm complaining. I think it works pretty well. Yeah, no. I So the whole, like... There is that, you know, thing about, you know, Baltar, like, where he says, like, you know, you didn't have to play both sides. Which is funny for Baltar, because, like, that's Baltar's thing. <laughs> He's so full of crap in that scene. Yeah. And, like... But again, again, I guess that goes back to, like, with Gata's character, like, he's not playing both sides, right? Like, because I, I, I mean, not in the way that, like, Baltar's implying, anyway. Mm, right. Like, like, it's not like he's trying to be devious and, you know, whatever. It's, in fact, quite the opposite. opposite. The, the, whole, the whole criticism of Gata in this episode is that he's not devious. And right. and it's his lack of deviousness that is what ends up putting people in danger and possibly killing them, mm. uh, you know, 
So it's not... Maybe he's attempting to play both sides, but it's like... Like, there's also, like, there's a sincerity and naivete or whatever that Mm -hmm. he has that that doesn't maybe the effect is the same as Baltar but it's like 180 degrees different from Baltar's own sort of egotistical watch out for me first and and you know the way that you know like his sort of uh kangaroo presidency and like you know filled with drugs and women and just letting the Cylons do whatever they want. Right. So they're both working with the Cylon occupation, but for the, could the reasons couldn't be more different. Right. Um, you know, but Baltar is angry and spiteful and petty and all those other things and knows what you know rise he can get and knows what buttons to push and Mm -hmm. you know kind of knows how to hit that nerve um and maybe even believes it you know maybe baltar believes that everybody's as self-centered as he is right that's his kind of religion of self-centeredness and he might if your appearance is the same as mine your appearance of collaboration how are you any different from me um motivation doesn't matter mm-hmm. um i guess it's kind of the the sharon's argument too is like your good intentions are kind of useless if you're not smart enough to do the actual right thing like doesn't matter if you were trying to save lives if your actions get people killed and the, and she kind of calls it a flaw in the sense of like a design flaw like this is a flaw in in your character and humanity that, you know, that you won't address this, this consistent problem that you have. Sure. Um, okay. So we should, well, I I mean, do you want to talk about Hoshi and racetrack a little, or I don't know that there's a ton to say. Sure, I'm not sure that there is either. I like racetrack. That's all I have mm-hmm. to say. <laughs> She's fun. And, I like and, when and again, I like when her like putting her foot in her mouth with all her things of like, um, like oh, moral core. That's a good thing to have. It'll get you killed. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like she's so kind of down to earth, and you know, um, I just like her character. But I don't think a ton of important stuff like happens in those scenes yeah sure i mean and like again she's always the one who kind of gets the crap jobs right of like go wait around or like right go check this thing out over here although although she's good at finding stuff so maybe she's kind of lucky yeah and and i mean like she never bring racetrack maybe she'll find you know she found new caprica she found all these other things you know and she never really complains about it. I mean, like, yeah. not like, I mean, she complains from time to time, but it's like not, like, she seems okay doing those sorts of things. So hmm. maybe that's, maybe that's a Raptor Pilot's, like, disposition, right? Like, maybe that's just kind of, that's what they do. Like, they like sitting around and listening to things. 
mm-hmm. and looking for things. And like that's what like if there's if a raptor is anything, it's like just a big set of eyes and ears, right? Like sure, sure. So maybe maybe if you're not like the in in the heat of the battle viper pilot, you know, space jockey type, you know, personality. Like that's the other type of pilot personality is like right. you'll go you're you're more of a seeker or whatever. You know, someone right. who likes to look lay- around and find <laughs> things. The laid back phlegmatic types get the raptor assignments and you know sure. the the type A people go in the vipers, that sort of thing. Yep. Um yeah, no, that's good. And like anything more with her, I think is is fun. Um, the only other thing in those scenes, which I think just again, like from a character point of view, kind of builds up this argument about the the, I guess, ignorance versus hope in you know Gata's characters. Like you have Baltar and and Sweetie kind of telling him like your trust in people is a flaw. It's a problem. It's you know, a bad thing that you like really need to, you know, stop doing and fix. Um, whereas like, that's what Hoshi finds attractive or admirable, you know, is sure. the, the moral core or the fire about doing the right thing. So, you know, kind of the tension between the two of those, I think becomes sort of important, you know, as the episode goes on, like you're not quite sure within the episode where Gata will end up, coming down on that argument you know but maybe that's sure. the internal the internal like angel and devil on each shoulder is like is it good to trust people is it good to believe in people who say they want to help you mm-hmm. and then turn out to just be completely playing you right yeah um and well so they find him in like, mm-hmm. you know, a raptor full of dead bodies. <laughs> um, yeah, a little horror movie. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, that ending. So you wanted to kind of spend a minute or two talking about the ending, which is basically just him like, right? See what happens next, like. Right. And the ending is a little heavy handed, I think, of like, tune in next week, you know, of like, sure, you know, what's going to happen next? Like, all right, we know the story's going to continue. Don't have to quite like, you know, beat us over the head with the dun 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 kind of, you know, mystery of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the things I kind of want to highlight is is that flip from from trusting even of Cylons at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. of like, okay, there can be good Cylons. There are, there's a Cylon who wanted to help me on New Caprica and we worked together and, you know, saved all these lives too at the end. Uh, you know, not even wanting to talk to Ty about his concerns about the Alliance. First of all, distrusting the Alliance at all, like as just a thing that we should not even be engaging in at all these people can't be trusted um and then won't even talk to ty about it because he's a cylon and like his openness in saying that like you know willingness to even kind of say it to his face like Mm -hmm. i'm not even gonna pretend for politeness sake like that i have a problem with you um and then okay so then the only other thing from the ty point of view um these lines are really interesting to me about 
<clears throat> strange things can happen when you're away from the fleet like that. I wouldn't even trust your own memories on this. And since a human is the sole survivor, the old man isn't inclined to make an issue out of it and risk the alliance. So there's like a lot there, like gaslighting him. Like, you know, like mm. this stuff you're telling us about, like, let's say he gets off and gets debriefed about and, and says, dude, I was on this Raptor and I thought this Cylon was cool. And we went back and I thought she was on my side and she totally turned on everybody, including her own sister model and killed us all for the air. Um, maybe we should rethink the Alliance as a smart thing. He's trying to do what sure. they're telling him to do, which is to be smarter. And Ty's response is, maybe you didn't really understand what happened. Maybe your memory's playing tricks on you, you know? Like, that's, you know, from coming out of like a traumatic event, that's not great to get told like, right. you what you're saying happened probably didn't really happen. You're making, you're, you're exaggerating. Well, and, and what's the implications of that? That Gata killed right. everyone? Sure. And, and this from Ty, who we now know is a Cylon. So that's kind of suspicious, right? Right. Um, and so, and so here's the other thing too. A human is the sole survivor. So the old man isn't inclined to make an issue out of it and risk the Alliance. So you know that people got killed, but we can't bring that up because that could create problems with this new, you know, Cylon team thing we have here. Well, and like, also that, like, implying that Adama's not, is going to sweep under the rug, like, three right. people who got killed. Like, forget forget right. the two Sharons. Like, what about, like, two of his pilots who are already in short supply and one of his deckhands? Exactly. Like, and, like... On top of that, where's Adama? Well, like, I mean, we know they probably didn't have any almost for the filming, but like <laughs> right, also, right. also like, where's Adama? Like the fact that Adama's they have at the to... rap party. He is, he is. I think he's hanging out with Rosalind. Um, well, yeah. But the idea that like, they have to bug him to even send a search and rescue party. And then when they come back, get told, we really can't be bothered to investigate this. It's just going to create more problems than it'll solve. Mm -hmm. So you probably imagined most of it anyway, or if not, then we don't really want to know what happened. So let's all just like, let it go. I just want to add this to the end for like motivation. Cause I think it's kind of easy to say like, Oh, like, you know, suddenly now, like, you know, Gata doesn't like, is like anti Cylon. And it's like, maybe, but there's also some pretty good yeah. justification for that, you know, Compelling given reasons, the events yeah. of the episodes. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Well, so that's where we are, and that's where we'll pick up. Mm hmm. Dun dun dun. <laughs> next, just see what happens next. Um. All right. Well, all right. so uh, we've got some Buffy though to talk about. We do. Which is so. This um, is the last of our string of. Yes. Right. It's Buffy Angel episodes. next week, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um. 
So is this kind of like a mid-season break kind of thing? Actually, this is after the mid-season. I think the mid-season oh, okay. break was between... The, the mid-season break for Buffy this season was shorter than the mid-season. That's kind of why we have... So, like, we mm -hmm. have, like, Angel stops for its mid-season break in, like, November. And then there's like two Buffy episodes in December. Because remember, was it last week we got reference to Christmas in the Buffy mm -hmm. episode? That's right. Um, and then, um, like, now I think we've jumped the mid-season break. I don't, so I don't know if it was last week or the week before that was the actual mm -hmm. mid-season break. But it, like, like, there was, like, two Buffy episodes and then I think the mid-season and then, like, these two. But, um, yeah. But it was a right. shorter yeah. mid. What is it? What is it with the first and Christmas? Well, and I think that's intentional, <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. how they figure yeah. out, like, oh, it was around this time, and that's mm. you know what's kind of going on. Um, well, and as the most um, biblically, biblically primordial of all of the big bads, that kind of fits. That like, sure. and I think I remember you talking about that at the time, like. With um, what was that episode called? Amends. Shoot, amends. Um, there being unusually, like specifically Christian imagery for a Whedon episode or sure. a Whedon show in that episode. That like it took things in a more overtly Christian right. way than it normally would. Like more um, more than so, the normal vampire, like holy water and cross. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. Right. Like more on the on the metaphor or this the symbolism level rather than just like the trappings and, of, and even, of Christianity. So, and even the, like the miraculous snow, right? Like exactly. in Southern California. Right. Like that, that Christian eucatastrophe element, mm -hmm. um, is fairly unusual. Um, yeah. So it kind of jumped out at the time. And so it kind of works. I think that it's yet again, a Christmas season when the first is, uh, not first starting to move, but they're sort of, at least their awareness of it is starting to happen. Well, and it helps find, it helps them find where it is because it came right. back to the same. Right. We go walk through the Christmas tree lot and mm -hmm. yeah, and try to locate it that way. So yeah. So just to answer the question, because it was bugging me. Um, so of this four run, you know, of episodes, you had um, Sleeper and Never Leave Me, which were at the, like the last two weeks of November. Hmm. And then you get almost a month, like three weeks till bring on the night, which was the last episode. And that's um, a week before Christmas. It's, it was on the 17th of December. And then you get mm -hmm. another jump of about three or four weeks to this episode. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, whereas Angel jumps from November to January. It's a two. Mm -hmm. It's a full two month span yeah. that it jumps over the course of this. Um, and I think we talked about apocalypse in Apocalypse Nowish, which was the last Angel episode. How they actually like that? Ha they actually had to kind of move up a few things because mm -hmm. because of that. Like they moved the winter break earlier than they were expecting. All of that. That's right. That's right. Um, so anyway, so just to answer that question, we won't get into Angel at all. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, so we do have kind of a, it, it's a midwinter break, but it's kind of like 
split where they do have that um, Christmas timing almost of the episode we did last week. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, I don't think we had any other production notes, right? Um, so no. kind of just jump into uh, written, the story. Written by David Fury. That's it. Gotcha. Um, that old, you know, workhorse of, of oh, Buffy. That no, old hat. No, uh, yeah. I chose a kinder term. Um, <laughs> I was joking. We like you, David Fury. Um, <laughs> in case he ever listens to this. Because he'll totally hear that. Because he'll totally, totally listen to this. Um, I have to make another stupid reference. Sure. For anybody who uh, what's, likes what's the point out there. What's, what's the point of having our own podcast if we can't make all the stupid references we want? Right. Well, so here's my one and only <laughs> Hamilton reference today. Oh, um, I can't hear the name Showtime without thinking of it. Oh, because really? somebody says, what time is it? And everybody goes, Showtime. And so now every time I hear the word Showtime. Or anytime I hear anybody ask, what time is it? That's where my brain goes. Well, okay, so... Um, so it makes me want to, like, say the title in a really, like, showtime kind of, like, fair, fun way. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I had no point of reference for that, because as you know, I have not seen Hamilton. Um, nor do I have plans to. But... Right, so you have to take my word for it. Um, I, yeah, no, I, to- I totally do. Um, maybe I'm just being naive, like Gata, but... Um, mm. No, so, but speaking of which, like, I mean, this is a, I like, I mean, I don't know that, like, the title is hugely important in this episode, but, I mean, there is that, there is that element of, like, Buffy kind of putting on a show for yeah. the the potentials, so, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, I mean, we can get into the, kind of that aspect of it later, but, um, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's it's a title that only kind of or it makes better sense on the second viewing mm-hmm. when you kind of know the the secret plan, you know, all the way through. Right. Um So, so well, sorry. Yeah. So uh, can I make a stupid reference? Cuz yes. cuz for me the no. the the reference of course of like it's showtime is from The Mask, right? Like mm-hmm. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Green face. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Kind of similar, similar. Almost elements. like Hamilton. Almost like almost as good as Hamilton. Um, all right. So yeah, and that kind of ties into where I wanted to start with the situation of Jim um, Jim Carrey and the mask ties into that. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> the the title of Showtime, Showtime, um, ties into where I wanted to start. With the potentials and the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because without jumping too much to Buffy's actual plan, you know, you kind of find out in retrospect that the, the whole idea of the putting on of the show kind of springs because of the situation of these potentials. That, you know, you're kind of seeing uh, more and more of them show up, right? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, we already had yeah we like double inside yeah right right so we had Kennedy and Molly double, actually, yeah. right we lost Annabelle um so we get 
Rona and Vi and Chloe and Eve as the <clears throat> the new ones this time. So yeah, like more than doubled them. Um, and I, we'll go through each of them kind of individually just to kind of start to get to know them a little bit. There's not, you know, huge amounts of development, but like enough of those little character quirks that sort of let you know on a very basic level, like who each of them is. Mm -hmm. um, and, but like just in general, like there, there's more of them showing up there and they kind of have nothing to do other than kind of hang out at Buffy's house and kind of try to train a little bit, although there's varying degrees of skill level or familiarity with any sort of fighting or weaponry at all. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not as straightforward because some are advanced, some have like never held a stake before. Um, some have never even heard of vampires more than like a day ago. Right. Um, and they have nothing to do other than sit around and stew in their own fear um, and get themselves all kind of psyched up. Um, we rejected other titles for these episodes in the vein of like, you know, waiting around to get picked off and that sort of thing. And that's kind of the situation they're in of they really can't do much to change their situation or, you know, contribute. And so it creates the situation of paranoia and increased fear, um, which is what leads to the eventual show. Like mm. Buffy realizing they can't go too much farther down this road of feeling trapped and helpless. We have to do something to inspire them to work hard and, you know, try to at least better their own ability to defend themselves, even if they can't totally change their situation. Sure. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of basic premise of, of the story. Um, yeah. I was going to go through them one by one, but did you have anything to sort of add to that or? No. I, well, so just on the whole, like, as a group like the potentials uh, so what's interesting to me is that you get um so right so like we had three three come last time and then one of them died um so now we've got what six um or seven is it um sorry i'm not in here uh, six, I'm yeah six right so but what's interesting to me is like how quickly you get like Kennedy and Molly being like the senior potentials, right? Like, so, right. You, you know, um, not necessarily getting too deep into individual ones, but like Molly telling the story where like just last week it was Molly sort of like being the scared, almost mousy one with Annabelle telling her, like kind of instructing her as like the more mature or whatever one um mm -hmm. and kennedy's kind of her own thing when we talk about her but um it's just kind of like interesting like now how how like quickly and we I don't, you know we don't know like i i always sort of just assume in buffy that like the length between episodes is unless unless otherwise like you know strongly implied or told like obviously there are episodes where it's you know 
a cliffhanger and then it picks right back up the next episode so there's no time but like if there's not that sort of thing like i just assume like okay it was three weeks since the last episode aired so like it's probably been about three weeks that mm-hmm. you know in buffy time um so we don't know when like chloe and vi and even eve came into their group like it may have been a few days ago it may have been a week ago or whatever we see rona arrive at the beginning of the episode but it's it's just kind of like it, it that's just interesting to me as like a group like kind of seeing the beginnings maybe of like a leadership structure even within the potentials themselves like ignoring yeah. buffy and the scoobies as kind of like their the next level of that you know leadership or whatever right they kind of naturally fall into a kind of loose hierarchy in a way but also like how quickly the turnaround is and and how under the gun and under pressure they are that like those who have only been there for three weeks at the most are suddenly not experts but have some wisdom to share that like sure you know in any well they've already seen things that they, like you yeah. said like some of them had never even seen vampires and like now they're now it's not just like vampires but like the worst vampire like that anyone has ever seen <laughs> like right. you know they're running into and um and you yeah. get kind of like rona being almost well so can we start with rona Sorry. Yes, let's start with Rona because that's where the episode I'll let you start with Rona. So, like, sorry, I was going to say something, but maybe I'll hold off on that and see what you have to say about it. No, um, just that, like, she's the first one we see in the episode that, like, Buffy kind of meets her getting off the bus in Sunnydale. So she's, like, the new arrival. And, you know, not just as the one who's been there the the shortest amount of time, but just in general, she's the newbie, right? Mm -hmm. Like... She's the one more than any of them that not only doesn't know much, doesn't know any of it. She never had a watcher at all. Um, It's not like she had a watcher and he got killed or she used to have a watcher. It's like she never even heard of watchers. Um, She says, I only just found out what I was or what I might be after those crazy ass monks came after me. So she somehow managed to escape them. So she must be pretty resourceful. Yeah. Um, and we don't has we no don't know how long ago that was. Right? Right. Like sure. I don't think she actually says like was that right. yesterday <laughs> or was right. that like, like and how did she find out how to months get months ago, yeah. How did like how did she even find out like where to go? Right. Like we don't um, know any of that. No, we don't. I I I had assumed and we know the danger of that the, the way giles kind of said more slight you know potential slaves are on the way made it sound as though he had been somehow maybe reaching out to them if he had maybe a list of of potentials that he was kind of putting out the feelers or putting out the call that like you know come to sunnydale come so you know collect here but we don't know that and with rona if she didn't know what she was like a potential slayer that implies to me that she didn't have a watcher she says she never had one yeah right she says oh, she, she never right. had she one. says that okay yeah so well that's a pretty good implication then <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you got that from what she said no no you're right she does um, say that i'm sorry she she does say that and and so like yeah talk about resourceful like 
to not have had a watcher and no training and somehow escape from, uh, you know, these bringers who have defeated not only watchers, but, you know, potentials who have been training with weapons and stuff their whole lives mm-hmm. um, seems pretty significant. Um, also want to point out, uh, well, and she's, so there's also like the comment from her, like, they told me I'd be safe here. And the question there, of course, is like, who? Like, who, who's, who's the they yeah. in that? Yeah. Um, right. But also right. she... And that doesn't, that doesn't sound like Giles. Um, unless, unless she wasn't clear about who it was that told her to, yeah. to go well, there. And, and we do know that, like, Giles has the coven, like, looking right. for people. So, so maybe that's it. Maybe they were able to get into contact with her somehow. And that that could be the they. Um, right. Also, want to just point out the the. It's not quite the opening thing that Buffy says, but um, she says, "Serona, welcome to the Hellmouth." Right, which mm-hmm. is in line with this whole back to the beginning idea, because mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. first episode is "Welcome to the Hellmouth," right. and um, with Rona as a character, she plays, I think, sort of the the new the newly introduced you know person to like all of this weird you know talk about the levels of knowledge and exposure to what's going on um she's sort of the every person in this Mm. you know episode like being introduced here and um that not just like with the vampire and you know slayer and all of that but also like the british slang like I thought hungry was British was English for hungry. Like, right, you know, right. um, like just kind of even the quirky stuff that um, we're kind of used to at this point. So I think um, there's a lot of good stuff there with her character to just kind mm-hmm. of like help us remember that like we've been, you know, embedded or enmeshed in like all of this stuff for like six plus seasons. And now we're dealing with people who don't really have that same level of awareness right. and knowledge and, and, and who are young and scared. I mean, these are people who are like Dawn's age and, um, or like between Dawn's and like Willow's ages. Like we, I guess mm-hmm. like Kennedy sort of implies that she's the eldest of the potentials. Um, when she says like, even I might be getting too old, like, mm-hmm. and she's not that old. <laughs> like, Right. Like, like yeah. we get the sense that she's still, like, a fair bit younger than, you know, the rest of the Scoobies. Right. Um, although I right. don't think right. we get her age yet. Um, yeah. No, she doesn't say, but right. Yeah, she doesn't seem to be, um, to be Buffy's age, I don't think. Right. Um, yeah. Um, no, and, and I don't want to take it too far because Buffy was more was at a higher level of knowledge at the beginning of the show like the, by virtue of the fact that it was a spin-off from the movie where sure. if you take that as sort of part of the story she'd already been in she'd been that naive newbie who was introduced to things from so she maybe at one point was where Rona was but that's not where the where the series starts mm-hmm. like she she knows what she is and 
you know, is aware of it. So I don't want to take the comparison too far. But on the other hand, like, the connection to Welcome to the Hellmouth, if Rona's the one, like, arriving on a bus in Sunnydale, like, in a way that makes her kind of a Buffy figure, like, the 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 new Slayer arrives in town, um, you know, kind of, it, it's, it is that kind of full circle aspect, which all of them have that to a certain extent, but I think Rona with, as the one that kind of, makes her big grand interests in this episode. It kind of makes her stand out a little bit more. Um, so yeah, all right. Who do we have next on the list? Um, Molly. Who we kind of got to know last time. I don't know that there's a lot new, more uh, quirky British slang from her. Um, mm -hmm kind of echoes some of the stuff we were saying last time about um, maybe Annabelle's flawed approach to managing her fear, you know, like, so Molly says Annabelle was the, was the one who was all control your fear, control your fear. Meanwhile, she's the one who goes scarpering off. So like this idea that those who are too obsessed with their fear, even if it's with controlling their fear are the ones that are sort of driven, you know, crazy by it and who are controlled by it um so yes control your fear control your emotions and learn how to deal with it but not so much that you lose perspective and become obsessed by your fear mm. um which is kind of what they're all dealing with in this episode and that's the thing that the first will start I exploiting um yeah, and so I guess the other thing with her, too, is her, like, well, we've got to keep our reflexes yeah. sharp, but then she, like, flips this, the stake and drops it. So, like, she has a good attitude and a can-do spirit, but, like, <laughs> not, she's not one of the more Stiff British adept. upper lip, maybe? <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, right, like, her, her attitude outstrips her ability at this point. She's sure. not very, not very good physically but she has the right sort of approach to everything. And and maybe that's kind of, because that's, right, like I was saying, like, maybe there's some leadership structure going, but like, yeah, maybe the ability isn't quite there yet. So like, there's still a lot of stuff of her own to like learn and master, like, even mm -hmm. as she's sort of like, being didactic, like, like that scene in the beginning where it's like, the three potentials, you know, uh, Chloe, Eve, and Vi, all, like, looking up, like, laying on the floor, looking up at her, like, wrapped, you know, to her stories, you know, and, right. you know, yeah, maybe, maybe she is, maybe that's her own, like, little showtime, right? Like, she's putting, mm. she's more playing a part of what she thinks a leader should be, rather than necessarily being <laughs> a good leader at that point, but, like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's kind of that, like not in a bad way or whatever. Like she's kind of like doing the fake it till you make it, you mm -hmm. know, attitude maybe of mm -hmm. just trying to like, you know, well here is right. let's let's all take a lesson from Annabelle and like we need right. to keep our senses sharp and like almost I mean not to draw too strong a connection but almost like stuff that you might like hear Giles say to buff you know you know to a younger Buffy 
but like she doesn't have the same sort of authority and knowledge mm-hmm. and that right. like right like when she says like let's learn from annabelle and here's what she did wrong it's like on the one hand she's right and there's like insight there but also like what does she know right <laughs> like, you just got here like you know right yeah so maybe again not in a deceptive way but um again maybe in a naive way kind of setting herself up as a little bit more of an expert than she really is at this point um yeah um okay chloe the main point i kind of got from her is kind of the opposite of kennedy she points out how young she is so like if Kennedy's the oldest, but still younger than the Scoobies. Chloe's definitely the youngest, maybe like Dawn's age, you know, like thereabouts, maybe a little younger, a little older, like, like firmly a young teenager. Like this is, this isn't, you know, a a confident sort of maybe college age young adult. This is like an adolescent still. Mm -hmm. Um, and she kind of thinks that her youth is a might protect her. Like, well, I have time. So, like, if they start killing us one by one, they're going to go in order. So, like, I have time to sort of figure out, you know, how to train and how to handle myself and what I'm going to do. Mm. Um, and Kennedy flips that and says it probably works the other way around. That, like... Not that they'll target her first, but maybe, you know, there's no, nobody knows what controls the thing that activates a new Slayer. Sure. How, why Buffy gets chosen before Faith. Like, we don't know that. Right. If there's a reason to it, or if it's or, random. Or Kendra, we or don't right, know. right, like, yeah. Right, right. What, what, de- what determines the order? And if there's reason to it, it might be that it goes for the youngest person to, you know, who maybe they have the most energy, the most life to give. Yeah. Whereas or maybe, at a certain point, does a slayer get over the hill? And yeah. if, if you're, if you're near retirement age in that kind of dancer way where you retire at like 27, you know, sure. right. Like, like there's a window you know, of like prime. Right slayerness right. right and like and and it might go for chloe as as the youngest and the most promising of them and right. like that's a scary thing for her because she's thinking about it like i'm the youngest and therefore the weakest and the least experienced yeah. so but that's like not great for her and again like us as viewers know that if 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 we're assuming Chloe's like the same age as Dawn, Dawn at this point is older than Buffy was when she became the Slayer. Right. So, yeah, totally. Like you're saying, like there's no, there is no. We don't necessarily have enough data to know like when people are called because like obviously, like you mentioned, Faith. Faith is obviously older than. Buffy was when she's called, right? Like, if we're mm-hmm. talking about, like, 
being, you know, at what age are you called respectively? Like, it doesn't seem to be just like the youngest possible yeah. potential gets called, you know, as long as they're above a certain age. Like, say maybe like right. 13 would be the absolute youngest. But like, if you're older than 13, then it's like whoever is the youngest at that point. Like, it doesn't seem to be that. There seems to be some other criteria because faith is called, un unless we're just going to assume there wasn't anyone, but it seems like maybe Kennedy might have been eligible at that point. Like, just mm -hmm. guessing based on, I, again, I don't remember or know what her age yeah. actually is, but like, like maybe she should have been called before faith or whatever. Like, so there's just like one of the, like, it's one of those things where like, Right, the there's, pattern is in, there's definitely is in evidence. seems to yeah. be a window, but maybe, I mean, age isn't the only criteria, but like, definitely seems to be a factor. Mm -hmm. um, right, and again, right. like, and whatever whatever their algorithm is that that gets decided, that age is one of the elements of that, but there are other factors playing into it as well. And it's not like, um, or an element of chance, maybe. And it's not if, like if chance you call it. Yeah, it's not like Buffy is that old. She's in her early twenties. Like Right. She's like twenty twenty one or maybe two by this point. Two? Like well, because this is January, which is when her birthday is. So like maybe just twenty two. Right? She would have been like maybe just turning twenty two. Right. Yeah. Right. She'd be like a junior. <laughs> In or college, senior, yeah. a senior, I guess. Yeah, if she were in college, um, yeah, but right, um, yeah. So I don't know anything else about Chloe. I guess that was the no, kind of part I, of it. Actually, that, that you had more than I did about her. So like, that's all good. Like she's other than like xander is like getting her and eve mixed up and like like but that's just i think that's more like a group thing like it's just starting to get to be too many of them for like him to even keep straight like all trying to names. learn all their names yeah, yeah. um yeah. right um all right vi <clears throat> mm -hmm. felicia day yeah um yeah so uh Kind of, I was going to say in some ways similar to Molly in the sense of she knows a little bit. She's trying to contribute the things that she knows. She has had a watcher um, and he's told her some things. So she knows she's seen a blurry photo of a vampire before and she knows about this other slayer um, that there's she's heard that there's someone else out there and but doesn't know why that would be or how that works um so in some ways one of the more informed ones but we see even the limits of that like the most informed potential slayer is not really very informed at all um and in some ways she gives me like a willow vibe like maybe it's the kind of red hair and slight geekiness of it but also the 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 what she contributes is a little bit more knowledge based rather than anything like you sure. know she's not really the she's not acting like she's the fighter she's not pretending to be the leader or anything it's more about like 
well, here's the things that I've heard about mm -hmm. that I can bring up to the group. Um, so, yeah. Sure. Um, That's all I had. I don't know if there's anything else particular to her that uh that that i missed no no i think that's that's it i think yeah i didn't really draw the other than the red hair the connection between her and willow but yeah like i think you're right like there there seems to be more of a book knowledge about slayer and you know vampire lore than anything else um mm -hmm. and and bringing up faith seems kind of significant it's like right if we're building an army like would having another actual slayer be handy sure <laughs> um faith is still in jail mm -hmm. is that right yep. that's the last time we've seen her i mean as far email, as right? we, as far as we know yeah as far as we know um last that's the last that we've heard from her is she's like in her kind of voluntary rehab in right like i mean in she's jail, in right? jail but right like she's faith she could probably doing her her penance if she wanted to yes um okay interesting yeah um all right kennedy who we kind of talked about a little bit like her leadership coming out a little bit she's certainly the most well-informed and the most well-trained. So she says she's had, she's been training since she was eight. So that helps. Um, yeah. You know, Finally presumably something we can she's work known with, right? her watcher all that time and she knows how to use a crossbow and has been, you know, preparing. So she's sort of, um, uh, why do I always forget her name? The other Slayer, not Faith. Um, Kendra. Kendra, thank you. Um, Kendra was like that too, right? Where she like basically grew up with a slit with a watcher, right? Um, and like right, like almost so, raised away from her family. So with it, this, it seems, with this watcher, right? Like it seems like the the Watchers Council had a had a way of identifying these potentials, um, but maybe like maybe because of pressure, or maybe just the Coven is better at it, or something. Like maybe there's. You, like they seem you know it seemed very spotty the watcher like like again if rona didn't have a watcher but then somehow like the coven or giles or whoever was able to track her down as a potential like there's right. se there seems to be some way of like identifying potential potentialness mm -hmm. um if that's could be a word um right of of like identifying yeah the the aspect of potential in um someone you know but like the watchers were maybe not always the best at doing so um or maybe right. or or maybe they knew other criteria beyond just like potential potentiality uh, hmm. uh and age like maybe they maybe they were aware of some other criteria. So like they didn't bother with like every potential because they're like, well, the likelihood of that one being called is maybe mm. lower than others. So, you know, and I don't know how Kendra fits into this or 
like how consistently it might play out, but I wonder what kind of comment there is about privilege in here because mm. it just kind of jumped out to me how conspicuous Kennedy's whole thing of her rich background is. Um, sure. You know, our, our house had wings and we had, you know, a summer home in the Hamptons, which didn't have any wings except well, for one, you know? And, the and like the fact that she's trained by a watcher from the time that she was eight, whereas there's these other girls who never even had a watcher or knew what they were up through their teenage years, you know, is pretty conspicuous. So, well, here's the question. Does she say she was trained by her watcher since she was eight? Or just that she knows how to use a crossbow since she was eight? Because as the other... She like, maybe doesn't say. Like, like if... if Like, she's obviously privileged. But does... Mm -hmm. Like, with that privilege, does that come with, like, archery lessons? Like, mm -hmm. independent of her sure. status as... And, and maybe just as a potential and, you know, someone with a clearly strong personality, like... Maybe she just enjoyed like shooting crossbows as a kid, I, or sure. or she may have had a watcher and like I. No, that's a good point. I kind of had jumped to that conclusion, yeah. but I I think you're right. I don't think she specifically states that. Um, I mean, and she may have had a watcher, and I totally think like given what we've seen of the watchers, there is an aspect of privilege to that as well. So like, I don't necessarily disagree like that. That could have been like, like maybe there's even like, you could almost imagine, this is totally not like canon or anything. This is just out of my head. But like, you could totally imagine like that there's maybe secret societies of rich people who like apply to have a watcher come like train their child in the hopes that they are the next slayer or something. Like you right. can see That's that being like an underground. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And, right, right. And That's you almost see, what I was imagining is like the family has connections. And you could see somehow. that even like to take that one step further, you could see that even being like the Watchers Council playing on that with like application fees and like charging these like wealthier families money to like fund their Watcher activities. And look, something has to fund the country manor home, you know? Saying, yeah. And pay salaries to their watchers, you know? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I think, and the more I think, I totally didn't think of that while I was watching it, but the more I do now, the more I, I kind of yeah, like that's that. totally that, like, that really jumps out. That's totally headcanon that just, like, burst out of my brain in, like, three minutes ago. So, like, yeah. I, maybe someone else has thought of that and written about it and all of that, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, it does kind of work though. Like you could you could see that being like very much part of their you know economic like mission statement <laughs> like of the right. watchers count. Like like there's the mission but then there's like how to fund the mission. Like Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And it fits with with Kennedy that not that it takes away from the initiative and leadership that she shows but also that that doesn't just come out of nowhere you're not just born with those qualities that she whether from a watcher or whether whether just growing up in a well-resourced family has had a head start that mm -hmm. you know everybody else hasn't had um 
So, yeah, I think that kind of, it it gives some context as to how she's as accomplished as as she is. Um, Um, And the only other thing, too, is her kind of forwardness with Willow. That, like, hmm. you know, we saw her kind of invite herself into Willow's room in the last episode. And now, like, Willow's being pretty shy and hesitant and Kennedy's very much not that way. Kennedy's kind of making it, you know, I think pretty clear that, that she's interested in Willow and everything. Um, a little bit clear. Yeah. Lifts a little bit. Yeah. Well, and right. So how much of that is sort of a reflection of privilege of like, I get what I want kind of, you know, right. attitude mm-hmm. as well. Like that she, continue sort of teasing and coming on to and like whatever with willow um yeah um and also like like pushing a little Mm -hmm. with like her this voodoo once turned you into the big scary big scary willow that's something i'd almost like to see like like there's that like the playing with fire like Mm -hmm. you know attitude there and Willow's very like kind of scary. No, you wouldn't. And Kennedy mm. backtracking, like kind of for the first and only time, unless I'm forgetting some other time. Um, you know that. Well, I said almost. Like, like she realizes she kind of stepped a little out of her bounds, but like maybe doesn't, maybe isn't used to like being told that she stepped out of bounds, right? Like, mm. like there's a sense there that, like, she kind of, like, this is new territory for her of being right. told when she's gone too far. Well, and like Molly, maybe she's more accomplished than Molly, but still, like, there's a limit to what she knows. And she's joking and teasing and flirting about things that she might not understand. But again, maybe getting a little ahead of herself with feeling like she's the experienced one of the bunch. Um, So yeah, although like she's not completely full of it because she does back it up with the crossbow that she, you know, she knows how to use it and she gets ready to fight the uber vampire and kind of stands in front of the crowd. So she's at least willing to try to practice what she's preaching um you know she's not she's not doing what annabelle did which is talking a good talk and then like running it when it gets scary so there's at least some you know honesty to what she's actually saying sure um all right eve conspicuous name uh <laughs> sure you know sure this this uh this little temptress here um who and, i don't even really want to talk about eve because we never meet eve um it turns out you right. know like we don't really know anything about eve she's well and eve the one is who's also on her there so the, eve is also the first woman who you know in some, oh, it's a pun. In so, it's a pun. In some sort of, in in some, maybe religious or or quasi-religious interpretations, 
um, is also the first evil for being the temptress, right? Like, right. so there's, yeah, there's kind of a, a dual or triple even layer there. In, yeah. Uh, interpreting that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And so we find out later that, you know, the real, the real Eve was the one who's supposed to be waiting in, in the motel that Buffy goes uh, to collect and then they find her dead there. She's been dead for like days, it sounds like, um, or hours at least. So, um, yeah, so everything we get from Eve in the house is all a show on the part of, you know, the first, which kind of plays into the title and the theme here. Mm -hmm. um, and it is very much all of that in the way that the first consistently does tempting people with despair and nihilism and kind of trying to convince them of the, the pointlessness of what all they're doing. Like it doesn't actively attack anybody. It just suggests why you should give up basically. Um, you know, which is kind of what, what Eve says here of why are we all bothering? It's not like we can make a difference when the Slayer dies, nobody lives forever, right? And then they're just going to run through each one of us, one after the other. Mm -hmm. Kind of creepy, isn't it? All we do is wait around for each other to die. And it's like, again, that thing of the, the lies mingled with truth. Like, that's all true. But the conclusion is, is the lie. You know, the conclusion sure. is why, what's the point? Why bother? Um... Or it's the truth manipulated to spin things in a certain way. Which, you know, is is I don't I don't think I got it. Like I definitely fell for the the trick, but if you're really paying attention, that's the clue, is that everything she's saying is completely the kind of thing we've heard the first sure. say before. Yeah. Um Yeah, no, I mean I think it's really well written to like because she's she's not really saying things that are all that different from what the other girls are saying. Right. And Right, she's kind of saying what they're all thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And maybe maybe the distinction is that like she sort of escalates it a little more than the other girls do like the other girls are maybe a little more tentative about what they're saying but she's sort of actively sowing you know question and you know dissension among the group <laughs> um, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term so like i didn't get it the first time I watched it for sure. And I just, I mean, every time I watch it, like I, I still kind of look like for what, is there like something that you can hang your hat on? And it's, I mean, it, if there is, it's very subtle. Like, mm -hmm. like I totally do not blame anyone who gets fooled. Cause I totally did. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yep. But yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, I didn't think of it that way. Like, we don't ever actually meet Eve, so we can't really talk about her. We can only talk about the first. There is no Eve, yeah. only the first. <laughs> um, 
Um, okay. <laughs> Buffy at two hours. Um, Buffy's lesson, which is in response to all of this doom and gloom and like declining spirits and morale and everything, um, is she kind of telepathically signals Willow, which I guess Buffy can initiate something like that, it seems. So, yeah. So let's, because like we've seen Willow reading like thoughts and giving people thoughts before. Right. I think, I think it's more, well, I, I don't think it's ever like really clarified. So like, Sure. Believe what you want. Because, <laughs> um, like, head cannon it, time. it can't be wrong. <laughs> like, whatever yes. interpretation you have, there's no, like, canonical, this yeah. must be the way that you look at it. Um, this is why we have head cannon and fanfic. You're right. And so, my interpretation, and you're free to use it as your own or adapt it or reject it altogether. Uh, my sort of interpretation is that. It's just kind of like Buffy, like sort of trying to project her thoughts, but it's like really Willow. It's like, like Willow's the one who has the power. It's just mm. Buffy kind of like actively trying to get her attention of like, hey, are you listening to me? Right. Like, can you hear me? And um, I don't think like we are meant to believe that Buffy has any kind of like telepathic powers and is projecting no, her no thoughts. that's absolutely how i took it too like yeah. buffy and xander couldn't do this on their own it's just because of right. willow that um right yeah and and willow's the conduit between buffy right. and xander um and maybe like she can open up that conduit so that like they can hear each other but only like if she allows it like it's not something that like they could just do even like in her presence unless she were sort of actively involved Mm -hmm. um again that's yeah. just how i interpret it um i don't believe there is any like actual canon explanation so um mm -hmm. or if there is it's like in the comics somewhere like three seasons later but that's not important now <laughs> canon shmanon um yeah right so they use this this little ability to formulate a plan um, without the other potential slayers knowing, which we're almost a little privy to. You kind of get the sense that something's going on, but you're not quite sure what. And it's not until later that then they go back and say, like, show the, the conversation that they're having and everything. Um, but to keep the audience off the scent, it appears you don't really get a sense of how much of the ending is orchestrated by Buffy. It feels more like a spontaneous attack and that they're really in trouble. And then uh, that turns out not to be the case because Buffy has this sense that she's losing their confidence and has to do something to win that back. So she kind of creates with, you know, Willow and Xander's help like willow doing the magic barrier spell xander finding a location that works um buffy comes up with this plan to stage this like gladiator battle between her and the uber vamp 
to kind of show them what she's made of. Big risk here, like she has she has to do it. Like <laughs> she's kind of not really giving herself any other way out other than to beat and kill the Uber vamp. Mm. Um and you kind of get the sense that like Willow and Xander know they're not supposed to interfere. Like it can't be that she gets saved at the last second. It has to be her that finishes it off. So even when the vampire is, you know, has her by the throat and it seems really bad, Willow's kind of telling people to hold back. Um, Mm. So it's kind of putting everything on Buffy's ability to deliver on her promise here. Which it's like, if she fails, then she has bigger problems. Um, but like, if she wins, it totally proves that she is what she says she is and that they can win, you know? And like, it kind of sets her up to be this, you know, really awesome and inspiring mentor for the potentials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and framed as a as a a lesson in the end. Here yeah. ended the lesson. Here. Like this was all a, a tutorial a workshop, and you didn't realize it, but like hopefully you all learned something from this. Yeah, which is interesting. Like, I mean, chances seem to be increasing, um, but I mean, kind of literally with every potential death with every potential's death that like one of them will get crowned the slayer if Buffy dies. So there's also like that thing of like, if Buffy did die in this fight, like, like that conversation earlier in the episode of like who gets called next, like no longer is just like academic, right? (laughs) Like it's like Mm -hmm. one of them could literally like suddenly have slayer strength and, need to like use it um Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot hanging on the line there um Mm -hmm. so we do a good thing she's a good fighter yeah so like there's a few (laughs) few things i mean i don't we don't need to go through like the whole like blow by blow or anything but like um a couple things like one we do learn more like about the turret con in insofar as like holy water actually seems to work um against Mm it um because she asked earlier in the episode like do we know anything like sunlight you know like what's going like what can we do and um holy water works uh decapitation works um Mm -hmm. stabbing it in the eye with a broken piece of arrow like can give you a temporary reprieve uh apparently um Yeah. yeah i mean so like the more we kind of learn like like yeah maybe like we still don't know why like staking it didn't work like maybe just mm. maybe it's heart is some maybe it's heart is in its butt or something right like uh like a pylean right um so you know we don't necessarily know why that didn't work but like it's still a vampire and buffy shows that like it's still dust mm. in the end if you just know how to kill it and are strong enough um, mm-hmm. to do so. Um, 
Right. And the other thing that doesn't work is uh, the, like the, the invitation barrier, right? That like they right. need an invitation to enter a dwelling. She kind of guesses correctly that like, I have a feeling this doesn't need that. So yeah, if there's a consistency between what works and what doesn't, I'm not quite sure yet, but there's definitely some things that are ineffective, but certain, you know, she's, in addition to demonstrating her skill and teaching the potentials a lesson here, she's also kind of testing it for weaknesses. Yeah. And now she knows, like she's experimented on this thing and she knows that certain things are effective against it. So that can only help them going forward. Um, so it's kind of ex an excuse to get close with it and really see what, what is effective. Mm -hmm. Um, also, we get so like we get her sort of two speeches, one to the turret pond and the other then, you know, that you referenced the, the here end of the lesson to the potentials. Um, but we have to we can't like move on without referencing, of course, um, the, 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 the very Hoovian sort of reference. Mm. Um, so talking to the to the Uber vamp, she says, looks good, doesn't it? They're trapped in here terrified meat for the beast actually and this occurs to me she's putting on a show for it too right mm -hmm. like this is yeah. kind of her monologue right and for like the... the first is watching in the end right yeah. well yeah. right right so it's partly for the uber van but also like suspecting that the first is probably watching somewhere which it is of course um meat for the beast and there's nothing they can do but wait that's all they've been doing for days, waiting to be picked off, having nightmares about monsters that can't be killed. And and so then it gets to the turn like she had with her last speech of, you know, it'll choke on me. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't believe in that. I always find a way. I'm the thing that monsters have nightmares about. And right mm -hmm. now you and me are going to show them why. Um, and then the welcome to the Thunderdome. But uh, of course, right. <laughs> bringing up very clearly, uh, not quite, you know, the same phrasing, but very similar of mm -hmm. the Doctor Who Girl in the Fireplace episode of um, Renette asking, what do monsters have nightmares about? And the Doctor going, me. <laughs> like, right, and then, right. you know, going off to do whatever he does next. I forget the exact right. situation that he says that, but... Um, Right, right. Going off to go slay the monster. Um, yeah, and yeah, and, and also and kind of that. Sorry, I was just gonna say, like, kind of that. You know, it's it's the scared. You know, don't know what's going on, girl, and that's kind of like Buffy has that same kind of situation of like, right. it, it's not. She's saying it to the monster, but it's not for the monster. Like, it's right. for the people watching, and and that's part of the show right. aspect of it, right? Right, and it's for for children or for young people that that's aimed at. Yeah. Like, those who are scared of the monsters under the bed, you know. Um, there are things that monsters fear, you know. And, and maybe you can kind of put your hope and your faith in that. And also, like, like kind of undercutting the mythology of the monster. Like, the scary mm -hmm. mythology of it, right? Like by making it a real thing like you know what what are you most afraid of it's the the thing you can't name and, and don't really know 
And I mean, maybe they have a name for it, but like now it's like, it's real. It's dust. It's like physically something that they can, you know, see and touch. And like, it's not just some kind of like nameless or even if it's named, like not some kind of like unknown thing that, that they don't have a concept around. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it's one of those things of, okay, this episode came before the girl in the fireplace, Mm. but, but Moffat took that line from one of the Doctor Who spinoff novels by Paul Cornell from back in the like 1990s spinoff era. So that came first. So I think it's one of those things of this is just a thing that occurs to writers every so often. Like there's some. Sure. Like, you know, I'd like, I, I don't, I really doubt that there's any intentional borrowing between Buffy and Doctor Who there. Like my, my guess is that this is two different writers who had the same idea, um, you know, and I could be wrong about that. Maybe there was one direction or the other, some sort of intentional influence or referencing but my guess is is not that it's a kind of happy coincidence yeah. of shared ideals. Mm. Sure. If anybody can prove me wrong, let me know. Yeah, I mean, probably would take looking into like David Fury's. Right, like is like, he is like, he a Doctor Who fan or not? A Doctor Who fan would be the first place to start. So you know, maybe I'll, you know do a little hunting and see if he's ever mentioned it, but, um, so yeah, but it is a nice crossover between those two shows. Um, I like that idea. Um, okay. Going through the rest of the characters, I think fairly quickly, cause I think most of it revolves around the Slayers. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. we do get some stuff with Willow and her magic. Sure. Um, you know, we touched on one aspect, you know, the moment when she kind of warns Kennedy not to be quite so flippant about it. Um, and then, you know, does, I'm facing my fear, hear that fear, I'm facing you. She, you know, agrees to do the magic, even though she's so nervous about what happened last time. So, um, it's not just about controlling her emotions and controlling her magic. It's also about being willing to do it, too. Because in some ways it would be easy for her to just always go cold turkey and never, like, if I, if I don't practice it, I can't be tempted by it. Um, or can't be controlled by it or whatever. But that's not really going to help them save their lives. Um, so Buffy, you know, asks her to do the, the barrier spell, which works to a certain extent. The Uber vamp is very powerful, but at least Willow doesn't lose control of herself, which is, you know, the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else for Willow and her magic? No, I mean, not really, like... I guess the one thing that I question is, does 
is she really unable to create a barrier that the Turrican can't break through? Or is that part of the show? Part of the show. You think so? Yeah. Um, oh, I, or were you, you were just repeating what I said. I'm just, yes, I'm just yeah. echoing you. I don't know. I don't, I don't and know. I, I think it's, yeah. I don't either. Like, I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> that That's just, I don't. Like, yeah. either seems plausible to me. And I wonder if they know. You know, that might be part of the experimentation is either give this, give us a barrier long enough for us to get away and then let it out so that this thing can play out. Or if it's too strong and it gets through, well, it was going to anyway. So right. at least then we'll know how strong it is. And maybe it's um, more about like choosing, just choosing a better venue. Like, like right, holding it off just long enough to get where we need to go. We've had enough of our windows broken in the house. Can we just go somewhere else? Like that might right. be more of the right. The insurance premiums are skyrocketing. Let's take this somewhere else. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's at least a certain amount of intentionality to it. Um. Even if I think she really is kind of giving it a, it, it takes a, a significant effort to hold it back. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Dawn and Xander and Andrew kind of taken as a group. Um, sure. Not too much with Dawn. Um, little moments like, um, you know, kind of realizing when, that this was all Buffy's plan. So, you know, in some ways she's, you know, she's been with the group for a, for a while now compared to these new slayers. She's a little bit more savvy to mm -hmm. the way that they think and everything. Um, and a little bit of that like tough streak that we see in her of like, Buffy said, if you talked enough, I'm allowed to kill you. <laughs> like, you know, just like, I you know, that thing in Dawn that puts, people in their place and likes to threaten them every so often. Yeah. I mean, I think Andrew becomes more and more comic relief. Like, yeah, I mean, not that he hasn't been already, but like, especially as things like start to like get more serious throughout the season, like he's, and, and I think Don and Andrew like together, like we'll see more of that type of like, Mm -hmm. them butting heads but like in a completely funny like mm -hmm. you know sort of way so just just to right. prepare you for that but yeah i mean that's a great like not even even <laughs> like just that yeah you know yeah well and and occasional moments of seriousness too of he's complaining i'm right. so alone and so well maybe you shouldn't have killed your only friend like yeah also letting him know for real like how dumb he is and everything um and the other thing for andrew too is at the end in in that welcome to thunderdome moment there's you know his two men enter one man leaves you kind of get the sense of him being kind of into this like maybe rooting for buffy maybe actually like not just being a flake and flitting between the good and evil sides but actually like even if it's for stupid reasons getting a little bit invested in her beating the bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I think, I think that goes back to even last week where 
like you have him saying like you you rescued me like even right you know like that being sort of unexpected like and and then this week the the thing of like look they're coming to kill me too like like it or not kind of i'm with you guys at this point like maybe maybe he didn't even want to choose their side but he kind of like maybe this isn't the most maybe this isn't the best reason like to be on a particular side but like there's also the sense of like hey he's here so like he might as well try to like be with them um you know what i mean so like i think there's a bit of an evolution going on that we can see in his yeah attitude here um i I'm not saying he's like wholly reformed and we should trust him a hundred percent or anything, but like, like he does have a point of like, Hey, they're going to kill me too. Like, so maybe, maybe give me something to help defend myself. And Mm -hmm. in that case, Holy water seems perfectly legitimate, you know, and it does actually appear to affect the Turrican. So it's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not as useless as even he thinks it maybe is. Um, considering that Buffy ends up using it herself. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think there's like, he supports her in his own kind of way. And then she rejects it. Like, don't help me. But like mm-hmm. trying to put into terms that, that are his own terms, like, you know, where would the justice league have been if they hadn't put their differences aside to stop the Imperium and a shape-shifting alien horde? Like, Nobody else understands what he's saying. Well, maybe Xander understands what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But, like, he, you know, is it, is he just trying to support her to, like, get on her good side? Or does he, like, really believe this? I guess there's still question there. But mm-hmm. I do think, like, we can at least see, like, that there's some, there seems to be some kind of little bit of a shift going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I don't know that I have much at all for Xander, if anything, um, other than like his suggestion of where to go for the fight. So his kind of practical knowledge coming in handy there, um, which as usual, but I feel like, isn't this basically where Buffy last faced the Turrican? (laughs) Like it's a, just a, maybe it's a different construction site, but it's a construction site, right? Like, right, right. It's not like. Right, which, again, only emphasizes the risk she's taking. Like, what makes her think she can beat it this time other than just she has no other options? So, um, I mean, it has these big floodlights. I guess that kind of is disconcerting for the vampire and everything, so that helps. But, um, but yeah, there's nothing especially different, I don't think, about this particular location. Yeah. Um, okay. Giles and Anya are trying to get some information uh, about the first, and Anya's kind of going around talking to her demon contacts and everything. Um, and Giles suggests talking with Bell Jox's eye, uh, which is this mysterious 
oracle figure that lives in this dark windy vortex between worlds you know sure which i kind of like the design of that of like just this black void with a lot of wind and, and this weird eyeball cage yeah with, yeah with a nerve ending extending who knows yeah. where <laughs> yeah um you know little bit of comedy there with the with anya's old demon flame um torg yeah yeah so that that was pretty funny like you know what am i a leper come back when you are a leper <laughs> like he's like i wouldn't touch totally you for all the kittens in in again right. again with the kittens right again with the kittens um <laughs> it's the the, the <laughs> oi, relative value of kittens oi, and currency. Oi with the kittens <laughs> yeah oh, right. um but yeah so there's some kind of funny stuff and some interesting little visuals there and everything um but in terms of what we find out, you know, the, the big reveal being that the reason the first is striking now is that it's been given an opportunity in a window that it didn't have before. Otherwise, it would have done this mm. ages ago. Um, but something's gone wrong in, you know, the balance of all the universes and everything. And that's because Buffy was brought back from the dead so you know buffy's life becomes the thing that is kind of throwing everything out of whack mm. um yeah you know and then anya specifically places the blame on herself and willow and xander and tara for being the ones to do that because buffy didn't ask for it um so yeah that's a big reveal that's not going to be great for buffy's like i think she's mostly over the kind of death wish aspect but still you know that's not going to be great for her sense of self-worth and confidence to find out that her her being alive is the thing that's threatening like the whole world or the whole universe sure Yeah, I don't um, really have anything to add to that. I mean, it's all kind of exposition, right, for why the first is here mm -hmm. and, and bothering us again. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, all right, just to finish off with Spike, um, kind of the short version is that he's, you know, still kind of, imprisoned and chained up and he's having these dreams or visions of you know trying to escape or Buffy coming to get him and then they all kind of turn into cold reality when he wakes up and you know he has the first as Buffy sort of teasing him with what's not going to happen of yeah uh like he's just not worth it she has so many bigger fish to fry that there's like no chance that she's going to waste time or risk her life to come and get him. Mm -hmm. um, and that turns out not to be true in a very kind of sweet ending. He's kind of insisting that, you know, she'll come like whether or not he believes it, he is insisting that in order to sort of keep going and be defiant and everything. 
Um, and then finally, when she appears and he thinks it's not her and he's kind of, you know, finally convinced that it's not really her and telling it to like go away and leave him alone, that's when it really is her. Um, right. So yeah, and she helps him down and helps him walk out. So, yay. It's good for them. <laughs> yay. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, yeah. and yeah, I mean, actually, like, kind of a, you know, I don't, maybe uplifting isn't the right word, but like, a, a there's it's sort of an upbeatness to the episode there of like, yeah, like, things are looking up for the Scoobies, right? Like, hmm. no, no more potentials have died. Eve was already dead before the episode started. So like, no more potentials have died right and mm. uh they rescued spike and they killed the uber vamp like so that's that's a pretty solid day's work yeah like, you know there's there's some good good stuff going on here uh as far as this nascent army that um will apparently grow even bigger um because mm -hmm. we we still have more uh, potentials on the way so um yeah uh but next time we'll got we have to go check out and see what angel's been up to um yeah because we last left la in a flaming rain of apocalypse that's right that's um, right and even worse than that cordy and connor <laughs> in bed um just in case you had forgotten precisely what's at stake here Oh God! Um, right, that's right. We need to uh, figure out what the heck is going on with all of this. So mm -hmm. that will uh, that that will be our next topic of conversation. Oh boy, can't wait! <laughs> all right. Well, I am I am interested to see what happens. So, uh, not being too sarcastic there, but fair enough. Anyway. All right, see you then.